What is that mission of why am I doing what I'm doing? And it all comes back to that, that idea, like in a much bigger picture, I'm really trying to heal a lot of the pain in the world. Hello, my name is Jeff Large, and you are listening to Choosing a Massage School. This is a podcast where I discuss with leading massage therapists everything you need to know when deciding on a massage therapy education. That's Whitney Lowe, director of the Academy of Clinical Massage. Whitney is a highly respected educator in the field and teaches advanced classes to licensed massage therapists on a national level. His wealth of experience in the education field has given him a sharp eye for what sets excellent programs apart. In today's conversation, he shares his unique journey and offers aspiring massage therapists advice on how to secure the education and opportunities that are best for you. His wisdom will equip you with tangible action steps from how to spot quality curriculum to building a sustainable career that won't burn you out. One of the things that I would say is so exciting about this field is the incredible diversity of pathways that you can pursue. I actually got into massage not intending to stay in it as a profession, but got so fascinated by the wide variety of options that were available. There's not many career paths I think that you can find that have this many different avenues that you can pursue for this little amount of educational expense that you would invest at the outset. The other thing that I would say that's just really inspiring for a lot of people, and this is maybe not something that you think about at the outset, but massage has a capability of really changing people's lives in some pretty profound ways. It's not going to happen to everybody, of course, but for a lot of people, having that experience is a pretty profound and beneficial experience, especially in, in when you're dealing with uh, treating, let's say, pain and injury problems or something like that. The fact that you can walk into a treatment room with somebody and basically change their life experience by what you do with your hands, it's a really, really rewarding aspect of what we what we do in this field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, all of that is so huge. Tell me a little bit about your journey. Like, how did you begin and where did you go? Sure. Yeah, yeah. I was initially in graduate school studying psychology in the mid-80s and got interested in some of the mind-body connection and um, was sort of getting a little bit burned out in my graduate school program and got introduced to the world of massage therapy and decided I wanted to go learn more about the body. So I was going to go to massage school and I thought, oh, well, hey, this is an easy way that I can just sort of schedule my own work and do something to pay my way through graduate school and finish up my my master's degree. And I went to massage school and I got so fascinated and entranced with what was going on in that profession and in that field that I never went back to finish my graduate program and have been doing massage ever since. And that's now been 33 years. I eventually became a lot more interested in some of the medical applications of massage and and had a number of work experiences and educational experiences in the world of uh, orthopedics and working with some very high level skilled practitioners in that realm. And so I've been dealing with uh, that sort of aspect of of treating pain and injury problems for many years and then have also become extremely passionate about trying to teach everything I learned to other students as well so they could have similar kinds of experiences and helping more people out there. Yeah, and I think that's such an interesting pivot. Give me a little more context of not only just your experience as a massage therapist, but give me a little of the context of your experience as an educator. Well, you know, there's a a lot of people who are teaching in massage environments, either in massage school or teaching continuing education courses, and many of them come to that from having been a practitioner for a long time and feeling like they wanted to share things. And 
one of the things that became evident to me early on in my field was there were some incredible practitioners out there who were just really good at what they did, but they weren't really good at teaching. And I recognized that teaching is a very distinct and separate skill from the clinical skills that you might have as a massage therapist. And just because you're a really good massage therapist doesn't mean you're going to be a good teacher. So I really devoted a tremendous amount of uh, time, effort, and energy to learning how to be a good teacher and learning about learning. And you know, how do people learn? What kinds of things are are the most beneficial methods for helping people grasp difficult concepts? Or what kind of things do students stumble over? Or what kind of learning strategies? What kind of innovative things can you do in the classroom to really help get things across? And so that's become a real passionate interest of mine over the years as well as not only the the clinical aspects of massage, but also, you know, how do we teach this really well for people so they can get it as much as possible? Whitney's not only well experienced, but he's also passionate for understanding effective teaching and learning methods. And it was because of this, I knew I wanted to get his perspective on how to begin the search for a massage school that provides students with an outstanding foundation. Well, there's some important things about getting a good base education in massage. And I will say this, that your base level education has a huge impact on how beneficial your skills are going to be, but also how successful you're going to be in your career on down the road. And so getting that really good foundation is so critically important. One thing that I would say is if there is any way at all possible for you to talk to students who have been through a program that you're looking into, that is very helpful because you'll get a firsthand account not from the people who are trying to promote the program, but from the people who actually went through it and ask them, what was their experience like? Do you really feel like you got a good education there? You know, what have you done later on in your career that you think was really helped by what you did in your initial training program? Is the school staffed by instructors who've been doing this for a long time? Uh, because unfortunately, many schools have uh, staff instructors who just got out of school a year ago or six months ago or something like that, and they just needed somebody to fill in the room and give information to students. And that's not going to be your best educational experience. But to really understand the state of massage therapy education, you have to look at it within the context of history. Whitney highlights the supply and demand challenge that many schools are facing, the laws that different institutions have to abide by, and curriculum design all as factors that impact the quality of the education offered. The massage therapy profession just exploded in growth in the late 1990s, early 2000s. And as a result, the number of schools that were uh, opening up to teach massage therapists also exploded. Sometime I think our number of schools peaked around 2005, 2006. It's somewhere around 1,600 schools in, in, the, in the U.S. That's just an unbelievable number of massage school training programs. And the reality is we don't have enough qualified faculty to staff that many schools across the country. So what I saw over the course of the last couple of decades, unfortunately, is a decline in the overall quality of training that students were getting coming into the field because many of them had been to these schools that just weren't really that good. And that goes back to my initial things that I was saying a few moments ago about how important it is to ask the school about the longevity of their staff, the qualifications of their teaching staff, how long they've been around, how long, you know, what kind of experience levels their instructors have. That kind of stuff really plays a big role in what's going to be a quality education for, for the students coming through there. 
Do you feel like, are there some avenues to certification that are objectively better than others? Well, most of that is going to be governed by the state laws and state guidelines that, you know, a program has to be of an X amount of length. So, for example, in many states, there's a certain clock hour length of training programs. Now, you can have a really great program in 625 hours and a really crappy program in 625 hours. So just the number of clock hours doesn't necessarily have a direct correlation to the quality of the program. I've seen stupendous, outstanding 500-hour programs and really crappy 1,000-hour programs. So as you're looking at this and looking at your different school options and training possibilities, just know that that's a factor, but it doesn't necessarily indicate quality in terms of what the training program is designed to be doing. And that's why so many of those other factors are are crucial to be looking into. What is the difference between what you just mentioned, a high-quality use of your time versus a not high-quality use of your time? So a very well-designed curriculum that is integrated, that different parts of the program are meant to go together and they're designed to go together very well that's going to give you a much better education because when the students, let's say, you know, you're learning something in anatomy and physiology about the shoulder and that happens maybe two months before you go learn a bunch of massage techniques and things about working on the shoulder. Those two things aren't going to be as tied together as well as they would be in a program where, for example, you are learning a whole lot about the shoulder in your anatomy and physiology class. At the same time, you're doing a bunch of work on the shoulder in your technique classes. And that way you integrate that knowledge a lot better. So and this goes back to curriculum design and integration of a, of a good quality instructional program that's been well thought out. Mm-hmm. Is there an easy way to determine that from the outset? How can I safeguard against falling into something like that and actually getting this quality education that you're referencing. Yeah, a lot of that has to do with the way the program is structured. So, for example, coming into something where there's a lot more advanced stuff going on before you've had some of the early stuff, a lot of that may occur, especially in programs where you're you're attending it uh, based on, let's say, in a community college program where it's structured around certain quarters or semesters and you take these classes at a particular quarter or semester, but you didn't necessarily necessarily enter the program at the right time to be getting this at the right point in your education. Other types of schools, let's say this is more common in some of the privately owned proprietary schools where the students come in in what's called a cohort, which means you might have, let's say, 15 students that all start the program together at the same time and they go through the entire program in a structured, organized fashion all together at that same time. My experience as a perceptual, as an educator, focusing on good education and watching what happens, because I teach a lot of continuing education courses, so I see a lot of these people when they come out of school years later and they're wanting to learn more advanced skills. The people who've been through these types of cohort experiences tend to be better prepared and more skilled because they've done a better job of integrating their education from the outset. Do you have any preferences or signs when it comes to, say, like, a vocational school that may specialize in massage therapy versus maybe like more of a traditional four-year institution that happens to have a massage therapy program? Like, are there clear differences or is it something that you need to dig into more? I would say it's probably something that you need to dig into more because I've seen it done really well at all those different types of institutions and I've seen it done very poorly at all those types of institutions. So it really is a bit dependent on how 
it is put together, how you know the program director organizes these types of things, and whether some of this kind of stuff occurs. Like, uh, is your program going to be structured in a way where you will get information sequentially that will be put together in an organized fashion? Or might you be getting, like you said, some of more advanced techniques or things like that when you're really early on in your program just because that happens to be the quarter that that particular course is offered and you need to complete that course in order to get your certificate Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then another thing that we we've referenced a few times now is like a quality educator how do i know that i'm dealing with a quality educator what kind of evidence should be present boy that is a hard one because you know everybody will probably tell you like i'm not sure i know exactly what it is but i can tell you when it's bad you know, they, they know they know when they're not getting a good teacher. But, you know, there's a lot of individual qualities of a good teacher, somebody who is uh, compassionate, who is listening, who cares, who is paying his attention, who is knowledgeable, who understands uh, student difficulties, who understands something about you know learning differences, how different people tend to learn. But those aren't the type of things that you can easily just ask. That's where the questioning students who've been through the program is really helpful because you can ask them, did you get a sense that the instructors were really well-trained, qualified? Did they pay attention to you? Did they listen to you? Or were they just a drill sergeant? You know, what, Did they really seem to have a good understanding of, of the content material it, itself? Or were they just reading to you out of a book in class? And I mean, I hate to say it, but I've heard of those kinds of things happening where a teacher's idea of teaching something was just sitting up in front of the room and reading out of a book to students. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it certainly does run the gamut. The other thing I would say is this is where social media really excels. There's some very large groups of massage therapists that are on social media and you know, Facebook groups and some of the other things like that. And I would ask questions there and say, hey, I'm looking into so-and-so school has anybody been there? Do you know anybody that's been there that can give me some input about what your experience was like? That is a bit more of a shotgun type of approach, but that does get you some other potential exposure to some people who may have been through those kinds of of, uh, training programs and experiences before. But on the flip side, when it comes to their actual experience and credentials in terms of what they've accomplished as therapists, what should I expect? Like, what are some base level things that I should want to see in my teachers? Well, you know, a, a teacher should be emulating those clinical skills that are essential for you to be a successful practitioner. So those things like uh, empathy, listening, attention, those things come out in the clinic also in terms of making a really good massage therapist. Also, the school may be interviewing you as a student, but you are interviewing the school because you're getting ready to hire them. So keep in mind, that's an important role and, you know, have some good questions available there. Some of these things that we've talked about, about tell me a little bit about your philosophy of training your staff. You know, do you engage in regular ongoing teacher training? What kind of support systems are there for your instructors or for your students that might be having difficulties? If I got, you know, midway through my program and I have a terrible life event happen, you know, I have a close family member passes away or something like that, you know, what kind of support options are there for us to work together to work through difficulties in the program. Those are some of the key kinds of things that I would want to be asking if I were interviewing there. I'm hearing that we really need to evaluate the just uh, how the curriculum's laid out and the teaching styles and the philosophy around that. I'm hearing about the individuals both on a professional level and on sort of this human or empathetic type level. What about some of the other practical things like 
what should I expect when it comes to, say, technology and resources, books, and, and those kinds of things? Well, again, this is probably going to vary significantly by institution and training program that you're looking into, but that's another great question to ask them. You know, how do you integrate technology and other additional educational resources? So, for example, do you have any of your program capabilities that are delivered online? If so, what does that look like? Is it Are you just having us watch videos outside of class or is there actual good instructional content? Is there multimedia available in the classroom when we come in? Do we have good anatomical graphics that we're seeing here? Are we just looking at some instructor drawing things on a whiteboard? You know, what kind of other educational resources are good support materials for the kinds of, of things that we're doing. So what kind of books do you use in the program and how do you use those books? Because there's some training programs that will have you buy a large number of books. And then I hear from students all the time, well, we never opened that book. They required us to buy it, but we never really used it. They just told us to, to read some things, but we never really used it. So I always like to find out, you know, are those things really an integral part of the curriculum that you're going to be using and what kind of, of, of tools and resources do they really take advantage of there? So while curriculum design, resources, and culture are all critical to determining how much quality an institution can provide, Whitney also shares that there are visible signs to look for when visiting a campus. If you go visit the institution or go visit the training program's physical facilities and you see things like, you know, a kind of sloppy environment with this sort of hygiene issues or unsanitary types of things or, or a very disheveled classroom or things like that, to me, those sort of why it's a little bit of eye candy to some degree of, of just saying like well just this does just doesn't look as nice that's conveyed in an overall sense of how people own the school and i'm not just talking about the school owners i'm talking about the students the faculty staff the administration everybody how much do they own and take pride in what they're doing as an educational program there so do people actively really look at wanting to find out who you are and are you appropriate for this profession or are they just looking at you as a couple of dollar signs to help boost out the enrollment numbers for for the number of students they're trying to get through the door. I mean, even that last statement that you just made, the difference between the people who are doing this to try to improve and grow others and like be able to cater to others versus the dollar sign how frequent do you feel? I don't need you to call out any schools or anything, but how frequent or how worried should I be about that? It is incredibly frequent. I will tell you that. And this goes back to my comment earlier on in our discussion about the number of massage schools that are out there. We've had declining enrollments over the course of a number of years, uh, even prior to the, the COVID situation. And that has caused a lot of massage schools to really focus their attention on keeping their enrollment numbers up. And as a result, they let in a lot of people who really shouldn't be in these training programs. So, I mean, that'd be another really good question to ask when you're interviewing the school is like, what's your guidelines for not accepting a student? Your massage therapy education will set the foundation for your success. But Whitney also emphasizes that there are some things that you need to consider to make a business that's both profitable and sustainable. This is a hard one to to tell to students because a lot of students don't really want to hear this message early on. But I would say to them that has become really apparent to me that learning a lot more about business 
has a lot to do with your long-term longevity in this field of being able to figure out how do you make adjustments and how do you do things to grow your practice, to continue to thrive, to um, expand if you want to, or to continue to be successful and take care of yourself physically as you're doing this. Those are things that are really important for longevity in the career. And we seem to have some challenges with people sometimes having a sense of self-esteem about their work also, you know, because we get told oftentimes, let's say by other people in other parts of the health professions, oh, you're just a massage therapist. And that sort of mindset has trickled down into our global professional self-esteem about what we do. And I, I really encourage people to to look at the, the results that you get with individuals and in changing their lives and recognize that this is a tremendously powerful gift that you're giving to the world and also to people out there. And to really take that to heart as building some of your confidence in terms of why you continue to do the things that you do and, and work with some of the challenging things that you're going to work with, because you're going to have some probably strange things, challenging things, all kinds of stuff that will happen to you in interacting with people over the course of years. But developing some sense of your staying clear with the mission of why you do the things that you do is so so helpful for the the long-term health of your practice and and the health of your involvement in the profession and what about you why do you do what you do you know for me uh, people have asked me that question and it comes back to something that there was a time for me when i was trying to decide was i going to stay in the massage profession this is probably i'm gonna think back this is early 1990s I was grappling with that question of do I stay in this massage thing or do I go back to graduate school and go back to, you know, being trying to trying to be a psychologist and everything. And I said to myself one day, I'm just going to sit down and quite, sort of quietly meditate and listen for guidance or message about, you know, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? What is this all about? And I kept getting this message over and over again, learn about the body learn about the body that is your path is learning about the body and finding ways to turn this into something so for me i sort of see massage therapy and massage therapy education is my vehicle for a much greater mission and my piece of that my little slice of that pie is working with pain and injury complaints with people and helping to train massage therapists to deal with people's pain and injury complaints but the overall big picture Whenever I get, you know, frustrated, you know, burned out, down about things, I try to reconnect myself with what is that mission of why am I doing what I'm doing? And it all comes back to that that idea of like in a much bigger picture, I'm really trying to heal a lot of the pain in the world. What kind of students impress you the most? What are the characteristics that they have or what are maybe the things that they're doing that are helping them succeed against some of their peers. Yeah, you know, the people that I see being most successful and the ones that I love working with the most, and I will have to admit that I am both biased and also incredibly lucky because I end up working with some of the very best and brightest students in this field. They don't mind working hard to do something that's really gonna be very beneficial for them in the long run in helping more people. So for example, as a continuing education provider, we spend, me and my other colleagues who, who work in this realm, spend a lot of time working with people after they get out of their, their initial training program. And we often have two divisions of, of students that we will tend to run into. One is the people who are just trying to meet their qualifications, like they have to get a certain number of continuing education credits per year. 
and they're just in our course because, hey, this course will meet those credits and it looks kind of interesting. That's different than the group of people who are in it because they don't care how many credits or what their course, you know, our requirements are. They're in it because they really want to learn this stuff and they're passionately devoted to trying to, to learn things to, to make people better. What are some of those key differences, say, between somebody who is good as a massage therapist versus somebody who is great as a massage therapist? I've had work from people who are good massage therapists who are good with what they do with their hands and they're good with, you know, technique things. And they, they may even have a, a really good sound understanding of key aspects of anatomy and physiology. But a, a great massage therapist is somebody who understands the whole entire process of interacting with somebody that starts the very moment you maybe talk to them on the phone and the way that you resonate and connect with people and can get into their world and get into their space. And what that, what I mean by that is like, you know, you're going to work with somebody who is a competitive athlete in a very different mindset than you are going to work with somebody who is a serious chronic pain patient who's been debilitated from occupational injuries over the course of 20 years. What motivates and drives each one of those individuals is different. And your ability to recognize who people are, what they're about, what their goals are, and how you can work with them to achieve those goals. That's what makes a really great massage therapist, not just somebody who's going to go in and do the same thing with everybody who comes onto their table. Mm-hmm. One other thing that I was actually curious about, and I think that's a good segue because there's, like you said, these these differences both in the way that we treat the individuals that we're working with, but also in how we can treat them. Do you have any thoughts on the importance of exploring different modalities? Yeah, so uh, a lot about this. And I would say this is something that's very important for a lot of the, the clinicians to be thinking about once they especially finish their training program. They're going to be introduced to literally hundreds of different modalities and techniques. One of the things that I have always tried to emphasize a tremendous amount in our training programs is the importance of clinical reasoning and thinking through problems in order to pick the right tool, whether that's a modality, a technique method or whatever, but to really think through why they do the things that they do. And to me, that makes such a big difference in how beneficial and successful the application of your of your approach is going to be is understanding why you do the things that you do and how to alter it with one person versus another person and look at this as you're working with individuals and so those modalities or techniques are simply some tools but one tool is not always the right thing to do with everybody. You've got to you got to figure out different ways that might be beneficial to work with all kinds of people and be able to modify those things. And that's where the clinical reasoning process really kicks in is so important. How do you pursue that at like a, a beginner level? Because I feel like there's there's so much like anytime you learn anything new, whether it be massage therapy or or an instrument or something like you're trying to just maybe even get through the basics like how do I frame it as the student to make sure that not only am I thinking of it in terms of the tool or the technique but also the use and the outcome and this it's a great question and this gets into why I'm so passionate about education is because so many of our educators focus on teaching the techniques and modalities as if they are an answer 
And what the, the reality is, is that you don't develop that sense of clinical reasoning and capability to become that much more skilled individual. This is, uh, you know, you had, I believe, said, but when we were getting started here, you'd had some communications with my friend and colleague, Till Luca, and we have a podcast called The Thinking Practitioner. And that's the idea behind what we were talking about as we named this podcast is that we really want to talk about helping to develop people who are not just performing recipes and routines and rote processes, but they're actually thinking about all of these different factors that might alter the way a person or an individual works. So clinical reasoning comes out of a combination of time and experience doing things, but also the ability to reason and think about things and understand a wide variety or a wide parameter of, of potential things that might be going on with an individual or might need you, cause you to need to alter your treatment strategies or things like that. And that's, uh, first of all, it's not easy to teach because it's not just giving people information, it's teaching them how to think. And the other thing is, is that it, it just, it takes time and effort to do that. And uh, as an educator, I have lamented with so many of my colleagues very frequently that clinical reasoning is not sexy. It's one of the most important things that makes you a really good practitioner, but it's way easier to sell a sexy new technique that you say, oh, this is going to help everybody that you work on, or it's going to you know, get everybody better in, in two easy sessions. That kind of stuff is way easier to sell than trying to get people to understand the importance of learning reasoning processes that will really help them be much better in the long run. Yeah. So I guess what I'm hearing then, if I had to summarize this, it might be kind of aggressive, but it sounds like you'd be more prone to error if you just are banking on the technique versus understanding the problem. So as an analogy there, my father was a violin and guitar maker, and I watched him accumulate literally thousands of tools over the course of his 50 plus years of experience doing this. And then I would watch him work and do things and see him do all kinds of interesting things with these tools. But just having the tools themselves wasn't what made him a skilled craftsman because somebody else could go buy that same group of tools and have the same things out there, but not be able to, to do something with them. So it's all about, does a person really have the skills and abilities to do something with the, in this instance, the modalities, techniques, or resources that they're working with, and do they really know how to use them most efficiently? Do you have any final thoughts for the listener or maybe anything you want to touch on that we haven't covered yet? The overall theme that I think is so important here is take some time to really do your homework and do some research about what you're getting into with your training program, because that's the foundation upon which you're building your entire career. And so having a good foundation and structure at the outset is really crucial in making a good experience for you for the rest of your life. So as Whitney says, there's lots of things that we can do to help us make a decision. Ask questions, visit campuses, review online presences, etc. Ultimately, though, he says you need to trust your gut. There's blog articles out there, out the wazoo. There's videos all over YouTube. There's all kinds of places that you can look for what kinds of resources other massage therapists have put out there about the things that you're doing. looking at websites of, of different practitioners. Those kind of things will all give you a, a good sense of it. And listen to your gut. I mean, I think kind of what you said there before in terms of the way in which somebody evaluates how good some of these things are. You know, listen to what your gut tells you when you go to the institution and when you talk to the people who've been there. Like, do you get a really good sense of this being the right thing for you? Or is there something that's just kind of like, ah, something doesn't feel right about this. So that's that's an, an important sensation to be uh, paying attention to. 
Well, Whitney, this has been an absolute pleasure talking with you and exploring these topics. If our listener is interested in learning more about you in particular, where's the best place to go? They can find information on us at the academyofclinicalmassage.com. That is academyofclinicalmassage.com. And that's where we have information on our training programs, resources, and all kinds of other things like there. If you know someone who's considering a career in massage therapy, please share the show with them. Or if you are considering a career in massage therapy, make sure you're following us on your podcast app of choice. You do not want to miss future episodes. Choosing a Massage School is sponsored by East West College of the Healing Arts in Portland, Oregon. East West College has been successfully educating massage therapists in a safe, supportive, and professional environment since 1972. To learn more about East West, visit eastwestcollege.edu. The show is created in partnership with Come Alive Creative. The show is produced by Maggie Fisher and edited by Isidore Nieves. I'm your host, Jeff Large. Thanks for listening.